We're going to turn to God's Word, and it's uh, quite a short reading. If you'd like to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15, starting at verse 36. And the title in the NIV is Disagreement Between Paul and Barnabas. Verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And we look forward to having that opened up to us shortly. Well, for those who are uh, visiting, uh, just to say that we are continuing a part of a series on God's grace. We've been looking at uh, burnout grace. How do we cope when we become discouraged and sometimes depressed? And last Sunday, receiving grace, God's grace given to us through the Lord Jesus. And this is a tricky one this morning, and that is uh, disagreeing grace. We surely are thankful for the honesty and the realism of the New Testament, that it doesn't gloss over the difficulties that come between believers. So, uh, part of this uh, uh, series this morning then is to see how um, we cope together with uh, disagreements. I want uh, to have flashed before you a couple of uh, pictures. I'd completed um, the sermon and then I, even I, googled um, <laughs> conflict resolution. And uh, it is a vast industry. It opens up all sorts of issues. I only got as far as um, just neighbours, for instance. Loud music, garden fires, boundary hedges. That's just a start. We live together and we try to relate openly and as honestly as we can. Sometimes that's difficult. But what about the church? What can we say about uh, the task that we have to be those who with integrity proclaim the gospel and yet from time to time we disagree and that disagreement isn't a superficial one. It's quite profound. So here's the question just to get you uh, thinking. Um, how can you have a really good quarrel without becoming quarrelsome. Sometimes it does help to clear the air, but not always. It can leave a legacy of bitterness and resentment. Or, I'll put it another way, as a church, and we might as well work out where we are here, not out there, um, how can we disagree with one another without being disagreeable with one another. And some of us have to work very hard at that. Okay. 
What is the issue? Let's try to put this um, passage in Acts chapter 15 and these brief verses 36 uh, to 41. Try to do this first of all. Let me pose it as a question. Should a person who had previously defected from a mission on an important um, exercise and leaves his leaders and his colleagues in the lurch, should that person be given a second chance for a same mission? Viewpoints. Paul, unequivocally, no. The jury's out, at least for now, no. Barnabas, absolutely yes. Two leaders, filled with the Holy Spirit, working together on a common mission and arriving at polarized convictions. Okay? That's the issue. Let's think about these two personalities for a moment. And do think where we are at as a church and think about future leadership and how you have complementarianism among leaders. So let's stay with Paul and Barnabas for a moment. Each man was fully convinced that he was right. They were convinced each was right because each viewed the same issue from a different perspective, a different vantage point. For example, Barnabas was more people-orientated. Paul was more task-orientated. Barnabas was a man of compassion, called the son of encouragement. Barnabas was. Paul was a man of strong conviction. Barnabas was a builder of people. Paul was a planter of churches. So, Paul looked at the issue from the viewpoint of the overall good of the ministry. How will it affect the ministry, the work of the gospel? Barnabas, on the other hand, looked at the issue from the viewpoint of the overall good of John Mark. How is he going to learn from this? How is he going to grow? How are we going to mature him? Do you see the issue? Here's another thing here. A close examination of this text reveals the intensity of Paul's feelings. This isn't a light, superficial thing. The, the Greek word translated deserted, as you have it there in verse 38, is, is a term from which you derive the word apostatized. So it's getting much stronger. And in Paul's mind, John Mark had done more than just jump ship. He had apostatized. He had been unfaithful. Now you see this emotion and this thinking is gaining momentum. So if you were to, if we were to ask a question uh, now, would you say, okay, let's come back to the issue. Yeah, there you have it in uh, Acts 15, 36 to 40. Would you say, it's the principle 
How often have you been in a discussion with somebody, ah, but it's the principle, and you think, really? Or are we defending uh, our own perspective? Or maybe it's personality. People are different. And the differences can sometimes create polarized views, as we have here. Or maybe it's just a prejudice. To prejudge an issue without thinking it through. Or is it, and after all, if we are going to have an issue as church people, as hopefully uh, evangelical believers, is this a primary issue? Is this something over which we should sharply disagree, as is the case with Paul and Barnabas? Bearing in mind, it isn't they're just carnal Christians, you know. They're, no, they're filled with the Spirit. They're motivated. They're godly. They're prayerful. And yet they're disagreeing. Can I just give one, one corrective and, uh, to this, or a, a comment, if you like. Turn to um, Ephesians uh, 4. Just on just the one verse, and it, it really struck me in this immediate context. Just like you to think about this, uh, Ephesians 4 verse 29. Don't forget he's uh, speaking uh, here to the church at Ephesus, a remarkable church, very mature church, challenging them to live as children of the light. And when you get to verse 29, he says this to the, the believers: "Do not let any unwholesome talk." come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Why should you do that? Answer, this is the very pertinent phrase here, that it may benefit those who listen. Is it possible for us to so disagree with people and yet leave a legacy in which they will benefit, that the grace of God comes to them through you? Well, that's what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Proverbs 17:28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Okay. Let's look at four things about disagreements very quickly. Start to open it out a bit now. We've, we've, we've narrowed it down now. Let's open it out. Number one, disagreements are inevitable. I would almost say, pity the person who's never had a disagreement. You'll meet them in Madame Tussauds. They are dead, brain dead, not real people. We will have disagreements. The point is, how do we relate to each other when we do? If you pick any subject, you will have differing opinions. Think about abortion, for example. May I say this, if we're not for our Roman Catholic friends, um, the pro-life campaign would have uh, withered on the vine. Evangelicals were incredibly quiet about that. What's our view on that? And what about the ordination of women, the role of women within the church? That's a good issue to, to discuss. What about education? Look what parents are willing to do for the education of their children and spend a fortune. What about global warming? Well, of course, the list can go on and on. And only to raise just some of those, you'll have polarized views. What about church extension? 
Disagreements are inevitable. We should not pretend that they don't exist. As people who are filled with God's Spirit, we should face them honestly and openly. That's the first. The second, even mature people sometimes disagree. Well, we've got an example here, haven't we? And there are other occasions as well. Thirdly, in every disagreement, there are these two factors, at the very least. An issue, and we've looked at that, and different viewpoints different perspectives. And that's why sometimes a mediator, little wonder Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Why are they so blessed? They're shot at from both ends. You Polarized views. Where is the church that could have helped Paul and Barnabas over this issue? And fourthly, in most disagreements, each perspective is valid. It's not simply, as we've illustrated here with, with Paul and Barnabas, that one is right and the other is wrong. That's almost an oversimplification. It's this, and this is one of the things that we need to do more and more, it's this, to tell people, okay, tell me your story. T tell me how it is for you. Rather than dig our heels in and break the fellowship as Christian people. And what we need to be careful about, particularly in, in doctrinal issues, is that the church becomes a sort of a subculture for division. Look at um, 2 Timothy 2 and 14. Let's look at this for a moment again. A challenge to... Just look at this. In most disagreements, each perspective is valid. So, a word of caution. Let's not create a culture of quarrelling. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14. Keep reminding them, and this is a challenge to leaders, by the way, but I'm sure it applies to parents and to, to all of us up to, to an extent. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. There is a form of evangelical verbiage that is very unhelpful. Quarreling about words, it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Polarization gets further and deeper. Look in verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Is, is Paul not practicing what he preaches here? Or where do you put this quarrel between Paul and Barnabas? You know it produces quarrels. Verse 23, verse 24. And the Lord's servants must not quarrel. They did. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not leave a legacy of being resentful. Word to leaders. So, four, four issues there for us. You've got the context 
of this quarrel, in coming back to Acts 13, uh, coming back to the book of Acts, turn to Acts 13, just to give the, the context. Yes. Acts 13, verse 5. This is um, Barnabas and Saul set out on their journey. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John, John Mark, was with them as their helper. Okay, there it is. Verse 13 from Paphos, Paul and his companion sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. He jumped ship. That's the context which we've seen. Okay? So John Mark has deserted them at a very time when they needed him most. So it's left a legacy. Unresolved conflicts will always fester, either with you or with other people. That's the context of this quarrel. It doesn't seem like much, but it's unresolved. So this now is their second missionary journey, Acts 15:36. They are united in their mission, but divided in the means of achieving it. If I say that again, Paul and Barnabas, united in their mission, divided in the way that they achieve it. And you've seen the issue. So, the context. Look at the conflicting viewpoints. Verses 37 to 39. And here is a great irony, you know. Paul received a second chance through Barnabas. Barnabas went to him. Barnabas represented the church. If you like, he stuck his neck out to present Paul before the church at Jerusalem. And now, when Paul is facing this issue, he will not give back to Barnabas. Isn't that extraordinary? And these are great leaders. Through Paul and Barnabas, half of the New Testament is written. Where does grace come in? You know, you hear sermons, don't you? But where does it really kick in? Where does it really come? Where is the grace of God? Or are we actually? And we shouldn't be afraid to face this, no different to anybody else when it comes to quarrels. We take the half, we sulk, we don't complain, we don't talk, and the weeks and months and sometimes the years go by, especially in family life and indeed even in church life. Thirdly, a compromised solution. Some people almost feel that the very word compromise is an expletive itself, and yet it isn't. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. In verses 39 to 41 then, they separate. There's a great sense of sadness there. If you read the accounts of the New Testament, it's hard to know if Paul and Barnabas ever shared together in ministry again. Uh, this verse 39, a sharp disagreement is a paroxysm, which really means it's a, it's a sort of an emotional convulsion, a fit. So this isn't just something light and superficial, take it or leave it. And they, it seems they never ministered together again. 
If you were to take a Bible atlas and look at this account here, you would see that they went in opposite directions. Now, in the goodness of God, you could say, well, it was meant to be. Look at the blessing to Cyprus. Look at the blessing through uh, Syria and ultimately to Cilicia. Yes. God overrules in our mistakes. It doesn't make them right, does it? It almost seems it's meant to be. But unresolved conflicts create some of these difficulties of which we're speaking about. And the challenge for us, surely, is that we need the grace of God in all these situations. Now, I may be speaking today about relationships either in church life or family life or colleagues at work that are, if you like, unhealed. They're like a festering sore. The grace of God must come to us in these difficult situations. And we need to take the initiative to exercise that grace. We can't just say, well, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm waiting for them to come to me. They went in opposite directions. And the interesting thing is that um, one of the last things that Paul wrote, I think you'll find it in, just look at um, uh, 2 Timothy 4. And there's an interesting little phrase. It's a very pertinent one now in this context. Verse 11. It's the, the last one of the, the last, as far as we know, letters that Paul wrote to the church, 2 Timothy 2. Chapter 4 and verse 11. And what does he say? He's going through a tough time. Only Luke is with me. Who do I need? And he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. What a turnaround. Isn't that amazing? Now maybe that may show the grace of God on Paul's part or perhaps on John Mark. Possibly both. Who takes the initiative? So let me uh, conclude as we try to face ourselves as honestly as we can here. Disagreements can be incredibly discouraging. They can sap our spiritual energy. They can be debilitating. But in church and family, the grace of God helps us to cope and helps us to go to our fellow brother and sister and open up the lines of communication again. Let me conclude with four suggestions that can help us. Number one. Always leave room for an opposing viewpoint. Um, okay, let's, a word for those who have teenage children at home. You should be so blessed. If you don't have room for an opposing viewpoint with those children and young people, you may well impact their lives later on in the years that had to come. Leave room 
Give space. Don't box yourself in too quickly. And bear in mind that it's not their fault. They haven't lived long enough, have they? They think they have. And sometimes you may need to say to your children, okay, you'll thank me in ten years' time. Meanwhile, can we get on with things? Always leave room for opposing viewpoints. Secondly, if an argument must occur, don't assassinate. You leave the argument and you go and talk about people and you character assassinate them. You shouldn't do that. That, of course, is sinful. It may give us some degree of pleasure that we justify ourselves, but it's wrong. If you like, fight fair if you have to have a fight. Thirdly, if you don't get your way, get over it and get on with life. Just get over it. Don't lick your wounds. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't ruminate. Don't make the situation worse. And lastly, sometimes the best solution is a period of separation. In relate counselling, for example, they will advocate a period where husband and wife just can stand back, let the dust settle and wait. And then if people both have the courage with one mediator, raise the essential issue. And it has been a, a, a source of enormous blessing. Okay, what we might call common grace in marriage relationships and in families. And yet we have to say, as is the case here, if separation is the best solution, do it gracefully. And it would appear that at the very least something we can salvage here is that Paul and Barnabas seem to do that. And years later, get John Mark. Why? But the very thing that I said he wasn't good at, now I think he is. Is Paul giving an apology? Is Paul saying I was wrong? Is he saying the situation has changed? Probably all of those things. We are challenged from this very brief encounter to model grace in disagreeable times. And we need to do that as a church, we need to do it in our home groups. We need to do it in our relationships as openly and as honestly as we can. And it may well be a factor that conflict resolution, the conflict is obvious. The resolution is much harder. And the grace of God can come to us and help us. I just say to you this morning, leave room for God's grace. Leave room for that. And when you think about the future in Long Crendon Baptist Church, apply that. Look at how important it is that uh, opposites are complementary. They can 
find it difficult, Neil and I work closely together. We are very different. We've had our moments. You may find that hard to believe. But the things that we learn from the New Testament is that God's active grace, not his passive grace, if you like, can heal relationships to such an extent that they are stronger because of them. And that is uniquely a product of the gospel. I hope that you can apply those things in all the circumstances. And before we meet around the Lord's table, we need just to have a, a moment of quiet now and prayer before we do that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, truly your grace is amazing, abundant, sufficient for all the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Lord, as we think of the history of the church, we grieve and lament the divisions, the quarrels, that have littered the history of the church, we are truly sorry. We pray that you will help us meaningfully to come together, affirm one another, build each other up, and leave a rich legacy of your grace. Lord Jesus, would you bring forgiveness within and keep sin without. Would you bring joy within and keep our fear out? Would you again restore your peace and banish our worry? Bring your love into our hearts again and may our negative anger and resentment be banished. Bring the light of your love and keep the darkness out Lord may we welcome you gladly today and always and thank you truly for the wonder of your grace and your reconciling love would you help us as we make our inner journey into our homes with our colleagues to our extended family to our church life, where we socialize among our communities. May we be all that you would have us to be. Lord Jesus, we pray for the glory of your name. Amen.